0: so much, Joel. Thank you. Hey, good morning, everybody. Yeah, oh, wonderful. That's so wonderful. This is such a privilege to be here, and it's been an incredible privilege to be a part of this community over the last four years. You know, um, I spent uh, 11 years on staff at the E-Free Church in Lethbridge, and my senior pastor, Ian Lawson, who also used to work at Briarcrest uh, in administ- as one of the VPs there, he would he would always say to me, he'd say, hey, Sid, never forget that uh, we didn't make the church, the church has made us. And I just want to say that um, these four years, God has used Ellerslie to shape me in in really profound ways, and I'm so thankful for that. To be a part of a community that's so committed to passing faith on to the next generation has been an incredible gift. To be uh, in a community where where, um, the church really believes in the leadership potential of younger leaders, and not just in the potential, but in actually creating space for them to use the gifts and skills and visions that God has given uh, in significant leadership roles. I say to my friends often that um, there are few churches that I get to work with that has been as intentional about training and bringing up the next generation of church leaders as we do here, as you do here. And uh, and again, I think um, I just I, I got to be honest with you. I just don't think that there is. That there are a few things more important in the work that we do than passing faith to the next generation, and as we get older, and uh, and I am, I'm I'm starting to become that person that's a little older. I said to our staff, I'm working on contract at Green Bay Bible Camp right now. I said to them, I'm about um, five and a half years away from my Denny's discount, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'm not gonna lie, uh, but but to realize that you know uh, a significant part of our responsibility. Is, is to shift a little bit from leading out front in some of these spaces. And we still need to lead. There's so much wisdom that comes with age, which is so wonderful. But to start being a generation that comes and helps bring wind to the sails of those who are coming next, right? And I just want to say this. Uh, LRZ Road has reminded me again that by God's grace, the church is in good hands. Church is in good hands, huh? And uh, Jesus has said he will build his church and he's got another generation coming up to do it in ways that are more innovative maybe than, than I've thought of. Ways that they're, you know, in environments that they're significantly more comfortable with than I am. And with ideas of how God can use like all sorts of things to do his kingdom work in really wonderful ways. So thank you so much. Such a privilege. And um, and I am. I'm, I'm convinced. I was thinking about it today. Just the journey. I actually spoke here first almost 20 years ago, I think it was, at a youth event. And uh, and then it was funny. We were doing. Uh, boy, I'll be finished with this part of the sermon here right away. Um, I, was, uh, I was asked by Sid Bergsma to come to a parent seminar here. That was probably my second. Uh, gathering here. And I remember um, starting the parent seminar and being quite excited about it until I got about five minutes in and parents started asking me questions. And I realized I had absolutely no idea how to answer those questions because I actually was not the parent of a teenager at that time. Do you know what I mean? I always say that my parent seminars um, were so much better before I became the parent of a teenager. Like I had all sorts of answers and neat formulas that would fix most things, right? And then once I had my own teenagers, it kind of just became group therapy. So we were just doing that. Uh, this past week at Green Bay at one of our family camps. And and I remember that time many, many years ago. And then to actually be here and be a part of this community intimately and to wrestle with with different challenges and leadership issues and to learn and to go go shoulder to shoulder in a really unique way. In a really unique way has been a gift. So I say thank you. Um, I I just quickly referenced that this summer... Uh, my wife has actually brought our team on at Green Bay to oversee the leadership development and discipleship of our, of our, of our staff at green Bay bible camp and it 's been an incredible privilege to be to be at, at the camp i 'll tell you uh, god 's given us a number of, of great young leaders. I had the chance to interview about eighty of them over the last number of months and then to see them in their roles and their positions. And to watch them, uh, many of them, exceed expectations in really wonderful ways. And camp is kind of this like really wonderful space that is so unique when it comes to, and I want to be careful when I say leadership development, because really what we're talking about here is just the development of human beings and in particular as they follow Jesus, right? John Piper defines a leader as someone who, um, how does he define it? A leader is somebody who takes a group of people to where God wants them to be in God's ways and in reliance on God's power. And to be honest with you, that just sounds a lot like what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? That we would have a responsibility uh, to move ourselves and help others move towards Jesus' way, in his way, on his power. And, um, and so at camp, we have this really unique space where, where we get to do that. And I'm, I'm so blessed by it. It's so uniquely challenging. I mean, you, you know, one minute uh, we're working with uh, one of our young leaders who is, who's just made a really bad mistake because they posted something really wrong on, on, on the internet, on their social media platform. And I'm calling parents to try to figure out how we can process this. That's kind of one minute. The next minute, I get a phone call from a parent whose young daughter's part of our leadership program, and they say, hey, could you find our daughter? We think she's behind a dumpster right now calling us because she's overwhelmed with anxiety. She hasn't been in a social environment like this for three years. And one hour in, and it's overwhelming, and you're like, oh, this is quite, you know, this is a challenge that we have to work with in this space, and then the next minute... (laughs) I get a phone call because our staff, who are so wonderful, have this great game on the football field where they're shooting water balloons up into the air at other staff. And then the children decide they'd like to get shot at with water balloons. So they run onto the field and all of a sudden they're loading up these slingshots and shooting directly. And we're afraid that we're going to knock out one of our kids. And here comes our children's ministry director, who's as old as I am, a little bit larger, running across the field full speed, trying to dive in front of water balloons to save the children. I'm like, wow, this is a real wide, varied, you know, kind of leadership challenge journey that we're in. So, you know, we find this space and we love it and we're excited about it. And then at times we're like, we're like really overwhelmed by it. And there's, uh, you know, I came out of a couple of things this past week, just myself, and I thought, oh Lord, you know, can, can I actually lead in this space? Am I the kind of person that can lead in this space? The truth of the matter is we're all called to lead. In different ways, some of us are called to be organizational leaders. That's true. That's a special gifting I would suggest that God gives to some of us. And we have a responsibility to steward that, to build teams and to create systems and structures that can fulfill God's purposes by his power. Absolutely. Some of us are called there. I'd like to suggest that all of us have a responsibility for one another that when the scriptures say we belong to one another, that we actually have this responsibility to side-by-side side lead each other towards Jesus. And, you know, there, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, tells us that there's different seasons when God gives us different levels of faith. And I think the reason he does that is so that when one of our, you know, one of our levels of faith, one of us have faith that's a little less than someone else, that person can come alongside and help move us towards God's plan and design for the life. And when some of us, you know, have faith that's a little bit larger. Larger, then we feel that responsibility to carry our brothers and sisters whose faith is a little bit lower. It, it forces us to be the body of Christ, but we all carry this responsibility to lead in that way. And then finally, every single one of us carry the responsibility by God's grace in His ways and on His power to actually lead ourselves. To have the, the discipline and to engage the practice to take the steps that God would have us to take to put ourselves in a position where his spirit can grow our love for him and our love for other people. And uh, interestingly enough, most often that kind of self-leadership journey (laughs) has a lot of humility attached to it, doesn't it? Man, over the last like three weeks, I said to our team at Green Bay, I have found myself saying sorry more than I have in maybe the last year. And as the spirit convicts just to go, okay, Lord, I don't want to, but I need to take a step and apologize here. And it's so hard to be willing in response to the spirit to take ownership of that journey and kind of lead ourselves into these spaces that can allow for healing and restoration and flourishing. But this is God's call on all of our lives. So when we talk about leadership, we're actually just talking about foundational discipleship, becoming the people God would have us to be, living the way he would have us to live. And every once in a while in these moments, whether it's in an organizational role, whether it's in a relational role, or whether it's in a personal role, I every once in a while find myself asking the question like, do I really have what it takes to be the leader that God is calling me to be? Do you ever have that moment? Do I really have what it takes to be the kind of leader or person that God is calling me to be? And again, it, it can be organizational. We can feel incredibly overwhelmed by what's happening. I remember, you know, just three weeks ago when we started our day camp, we had 63 children that were lining up to get in. And our point leader just, just crumbled in the moment. And I realized that a real part of her crumbling in the moment was my failure to prepare her well for this moment that had come. And I was like, Lord, do I like... Do I have what it takes to steward this next generation that you've given to us, to raise them up into the people you'd have them to be? When I turned to a friend and I said a hurtful word in the midst of the pressure, and I walked away and I said, oh, Lord, can I actually lead relationally as part of the body of Christ in the way that you would have me to? Like, Can, can you give me the kind of self-control that, will actually, that I can actually be helpful in this space? Or when again I failed personally and didn't want to humble myself and go say sorry to the people around. And it was so, I didn't even have the self-awareness to realize what was taking place. And I just said, Lord, how will I ever be able to like, by your grace, lead myself to be the person you would have me to be in relationship with you and experience the intimacy you would have with me? And I asked the question, you know, can I, am I the kind of leader that God can actually use that he can call? And the answer is yes. Yes. And here's why it's yes. Because God doesn't just call leaders. He creates them. This is actually what he does. Every day and every moment when he calls us you know, into these spaces, whether it's organizationally with other people or even ourselves, it's not just like this calling of us into this space because we're so amazing that, man, God's so lucky to have us. No, it's not simply this calling. It's this creating It's actually about this work that he wants to do in us, creating, changing, transforming. Sid, you didn't make the church. God uses the church to make you. He's creating and growing us in these spaces. As we step out, we take the next step to engage the calling he has for us. You know, one of the things that, that one of our primary outcomes that we're working with our staff this year is that we hope is that camp would be a place that could develop resilience once again. And we desperately need resilience as human beings, especially coming out of the last three years. This ability in the midst of pressure and difficulty to simply take the next step and keep going. And God does this building and this creating and restoring as he calls us into these roles that seem way more than what we can handle. And this was the truth for Gideon, right? Um, If you have your Bibles, and I'm sorry I don't have slides for you this morning, but if you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. And of course, um, for those of you who maybe haven't, you, you know, you don't know the book of Judges or you haven't spent a lot of time in the scriptures, Judges is a book in the Old Testament. It's telling the story of God's people and in particular the people that he called to lead and to judge his people. And there's kind of this pattern that happens over and over again where God's people are brought into a new space and they're excited about what God is doing and they follow him and then slowly over time, they begin to like trust other things more than God. They love other things more. More than God, And they begin to move into patterns that are very self-destructive and hurtful for themselves and others. And they face the consequences of their sin of loving something more than loving the Father, the Creator, God Almighty. And then in the midst of their brokenness, they cry out to God and God brings a judge or a, or a Savior. Someone to renew them and restore them and bring them back into right a relationship and alignment with God. And so we have this situation where the, God's people are again, they're not following Him. They're not serving Him. They've they've turned to love things other than than God, and and they're in this place where they're being oppressed. There's a group of people, the Midianites, that that kind of seasonally would would raid the Israelite nation and enter their territory, ravage their land and take their crops, and just like just wipe them out, and then and then go back to their own lands. And what happens in the midst of this cycle? is God comes to Gideon to commission him to lead and save his people. And so in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, we see God first come to Gideon. First time. And listen to what happens. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Isn't this interesting? The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I'm just fascinated that he would call Gideon a mighty warrior because the reality is Gideon was actually not a mighty warrior at this time. He was actually a scared farmer. I mean, it says here right now that he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press was kind of a bowl in a rock that was sheltered. Where normally you would put grapes and then you would press them and squish them to get the juice out, but it's kind of hidden away. If you were going to thresh wheat, you would do that out in the open where the wind could blow away the chaff, but Gideon's not out in the open. Why? Because he's afraid. He's trying to hide because he knows the Midianites are coming. He's not a mighty warrior, he is a scared farmer. And you go, how can God come and call him out and say that he is this mighty warrior? Well, the reason why God can do that is because God did not see him for who he was. He saw him for who he would create him to become. Did you hear that? When God looked at Gideon, he didn't see him for who he was. He saw him for who he was going to make him to be. You know, it's really interesting within our culture, when we feel weak or insecure or our self-esteem is low, our culture tells us to look in the mirror and tell ourselves that we're great and we're awesome. We would call this self-actualization, and it seems like a pretty nice concept until we walk away from the mirror and we enter reality again, and we realize that we're not quite as good as we would like to be. We're not quite as strong as we would like to be. We're not quite as competent as we would like to be. When, when God comes to Gideon, he's not calling him to self-actualization what he's doing is he is calling him to recreation that God is actually coming to recreate Gideon to take him and make him into the person that God originally designed him to be my friends this is the gospel right this is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you and I when he took our sin upon himself He took the punishment that you and I deserved, and he died for us on that cross. And then three days later, he rose again. And so that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is bringing life into our bodies and our bones and our spirits again. The gospel is recreating us. He is making us someone new. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18, we know this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is us now. This is so amazing that we are defined not by what we do, but what Christ has done, by the work of what he has done on the cross and the work that he will continue to do, correct? He's not finished with us. Paul goes on in Philippians and he says this, that that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is at work. This is our hope. How beautiful is this? You know, it's interesting. When we think about self-actualization within our cultural context, You know, one of, our, one of the pressures that we face is we try to believe this idea about ourselves that is so often disconnected from reality. Correct? Because the world tells us to look at yourself and tell yourself, you're great, you're awesome, you're amazing. But the reality is, in many ways, we're not. I know what I did last week when I was at camp. And I spoke to one of our leaders in a way that didn't bring life. It removed life from him. I know that. I I know that. You see, and and the culture says that, like, you have to pretend that didn't exist so you can feel much better about yourself. But here's what Jesus does. What Jesus does is he comes to us and he says, you don't have to pretend that didn't exist because it did exist. It's true. But what you need to realize is that that doesn't define you. I do. And this is what I say about you. And not only does that not define you, but it actually doesn't define them because there's nothing I can't redeem, restore, and recreate by my power. He is renewing all things. And our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the gospel and the work that he does and his defining work that what he says about us has ultimate authority over us. It's not what we feel about ourselves. It's not what other people say about us. It's what God, our Creator and Redeemer, says about us. That's what counts. And this is what he does. He doesn't just call leaders. He creates them. The first thing he does is he defines us. The second thing he does is he sends his leaders. He sends his people. verse 14, goes on and he says this, The Lord turned to him and said, Go, in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I think this is so amazing to me. (laughs) That God comes to Gideon, who's this scared farmer, threshing wheat in a wine press, and he says, in the strength you have, go, I'm sending you. You know, every once in a while, when I kind of um, sense God sending me into a space, you know, I remember when it was at Moxie's where I worked as a waiter and I felt like God was asking me to start praying for fellow workers. And and look for opportunities to love them well and then share my faith as God provided it. I remember thinking there. I remember thinking on my baseball team when I traveled with my baseball team as a high school student and I knew that God was going to ask me to come alongside the guy that no one else on the team loved and I'd be his roommate. I hated it. was going to be so hard. And I didn't know if I had what it took. And I just, I remember, you know, feeling these things and wondering like, God, do you actually know who you're calling do you know what I mean? Like, do you actually know who you've asked to step into this space? Because I'm just not sure I have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do, right? You know, in our church in Lethbridge, um, our staff would always call me the pastor of great first impressions. So anytime, you know, we had an event going on, I was the one in the lobby at the front because... You know, in some way, I could engage people well in then in the moment and make people feel really welcome. and And you know, I think God gave me a bit of a personality that could allow people to feel like just loved and cared for in the moment. My fear was all the time that people would meet me in the moment, and that would be a really good experience. But if they connected with me over the next number of days, they'd actually see what was really there inside of me. <laughs> and the impression that I'd made in that moment wouldn't be nearly as good as the impression they would get if they stayed with me over a long period of time. and Sometimes I wonder if, um, if maybe I've been able to fool God in kind of the same way, <laughs> you know? Man, God, I made a really great first impression when I went forward at camp and gave my life to you. That was amazing, and I was so excited that first week of camp when I was a counselor, but second and third week weren't quite as good. Did you see that, God? I mean, I was really good on church on Sunday morning, and I talked about how great my son was, but you didn't see how I responded to him during the week, did you? Because it wasn't quite that. Hey, can I be really honest with you? (laughs) We don't fool God. Like, he knows what he's got. Like, when he called us, he knew exactly what he had when he called us into these moments. And here's the reality, you know, like, he didn't call us primarily because of our great strength and power. He didn't call us even, you know, simply because we were kind of the best option he had. The Bible says he calls us specifically because we don't have what it takes. You and I don't have what it takes. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God wasn't fooled by Gideon, and he's not fooled by us. He knows what he's getting. We did not choose him. He chose us. And he's never surprised by how poor we actually are. And he never abandons us. He continues to shape us. He continues to send us, even in the midst of our weakness. Why? So that when we go in fear and trembling, and all of, the something, all of a sudden something redemptive happens, something renewing, something restoring takes place. In that moment, instead of looking at ourselves and going, man, you see how great I am? The only option we have is to go, wow, do you see how great God is? And these are the kind of leaders that we desperately need in this world. People who continue to point to how great God is because the truth is the world doesn't need more of Sid Coop. The world needs a whole lot more of Jesus. That's the truth. And when we come to grips with our weaknesses and God has still called us, then in humility, when God continues to work, our only option is to point people to Jesus, to give him glory, which is what we all desperately need. He knows what he's doing. God doesn't just call leaders, he creates them. He defines his leaders, he sends his leaders, he goes with his leaders. Verse 15, chapter 6, it says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. It's interesting, you know, what Gideon is up against. Like, he's up against it. Like, he really has no hope. When it's speaking of the size of the force that is against the Israelite nation, listen to what it says in Judges 6, 5. It says, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their enemies. They invaded the land to ravage it. In chapter 7, it says that their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. The force against Gideon and the Israelite nation was absolutely overwhelming. But the truth of the matter is it didn't matter. It didn't matter how big the force was against Israelites and and Gideon because God was for Gideon and the Israelites. And there's nothing greater than our God, correct? There's nothing greater than our God. You know, it's so interesting to me that I often hear people say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? Next time you hear that, call it out. It's a lie. God will often give us more than we can handle. Why? So that in those moments we would quit relying on ourselves and our own measly power and strength and instead rely on the creator of the universe. That we would submit and surrender ourselves to him and say, go God, in your power, I'm in. It's not about me anyways, it's about you. This is what Paul said. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10. Listen to what he says here. He says we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Did you hear that? Like God called them into this space far beyond their ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. It's like we're over. It's over. It's interesting. Uh, this spring, I was teaching a class in our school, The Coalition, and one of our students, Lada, who's from Ukraine, her parents are missionaries in Ukraine, had brought over the head of the youth ministry for the Baptists from Ukraine, and her and her daughter were with us for the week. And we were spending time with our camp staff, and we were just praying together, and you know, preparation for the summer and some of the pressures that were going to come our way, and. And then we asked if Zlada's friends wanted to like just say anything and if we could pray for them. And they just said, man, we love camp. We'd love to be a part of this camp. And they said, we do camps in Russia. Oh, sorry, in Ukraine. And so then we asked her, we said, um, Zada, what can we pray about for you? And they just said, oh, could you please pray that the bombs would stop dropping so that we could run camp this summer? Far beyond our ability to endure. I don't even, I don't even know what to do with that far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But, ah, don't you love that word? Don't you love the word but, especially when it comes to the power of God and the presence of His Holy Spirit and the work of His Son, Jesus Christ? Don't you love the word but? He says, But this happened. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope so that he will continue to deliver us. Oh, my friends, we need to pray that the next generation would move their eyes off themselves and point their eyes directly on Jesus Christ so that he would become their hope. That they would begin to see the reality of what is through the lens of the Father. Through the lens of the one who is going with us and going before us. Here's the reality. When we look through scripture, almost without exception, every time God calls his people to go and do his work, he reminds them that he is going with them. He is with us. He never calls us to do anything apart from Him. And this is great news because we know the obstacles to godly leadership are much bigger than our skill set or abilities or character. It's, it's, it's bigger and it is vital to know that we are not alone. So then I think the question is this, if God is with us, why is it so hard to experience Him sometimes? And I think that's, this is it. I think, I think because He is with us as we go and we struggle with the going. That it's actually in the going that we experience him with us. His call is not just a call to mission. His call is actually a call to intimacy. That it's in the going when we find ourselves in the places that are more than we can you know, handle. That we experience God handling. Right? It's in the going that he shapes us. Hey, can I, I just want to say something to you, just just as parents and as grandparents for just a second here. I know as parents and as grandparents that we play a significant role in protecting our children. Is that true? We know that. And we should do that and ask for wisdom on how to do that. But can I suggest that there might be a greater role that God's calling us to than protection and it might be preparation. It might be preparation for sending our children and the next generation Into a dark world that desperately needs Jesus. And let me be clear. The sending is not just for the world. It's for our children. Because it's in the sending and in the going. That they actually experience the power of Jesus Christ. In a way that is greater than they could ever dream or imagine. And this is what the scriptures say. That he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so this is our call. To not just protect, there is protection and there's times for it that we should do, but there's also preparation and sending. There is a God who loves our kids infinitely more than we do and he has sovereignly called them to a time such as this. He has. He's not shocked or surprised by what's happening in our culture or our world. He knew and he prepared us for this moment to send the next generation into the mission that God has called them to so that they can experience his presence and be transformed. When he calls us, he goes with us. He doesn't just call leaders, he creates them, he defines us, he sends us, he goes with us, and then finally he is so patient with us. I love how patient he is. If you know the story of Gideon, you know at the end Gideon's pretty nervous about this call. So he starts kind of testing God. Am I sure I'm hearing you, God? Do you really want me to go? And he lays out these fleeces, and he kind of does it more than once. You know what I mean? And it's funny, because you can tell that Gideon is starting to think that maybe he's taking God to the end of his patience. You know what I mean? Listen to what it says in Judges 6, 39 to 40. It says, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Just one more. Don't get angry. Allow me one more test with this fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Hey, do you ever wonder if God will tire of you? Do you ever have those moments when you wonder, will he tire of my fear? Will he tire of my excuses? Will he tire of my like failures. You know, it's funny. I used to think like, I remember when I was like 25 and I started out as a youth pastor and I look back on that Sid and I'm like, oof, that was, man, there was some work that needed to be done there, you know? And, and I remember some of the impulsiveness that was part of who I was and there was an intensity that wasn't always helpful. And, um, and I remember there was a part of me when I would fail that would think to myself, I can't wait until I get older so I can get rid of this stuff and I can just be... And now that I'm older, what's really interesting to me is I'm finding that those issues that I struggled with back then are kind of similar to the issues I still struggle with today. Have you ever found that? The stupid need for affirmation that was so powerful then is still the same thing I'm battling with now. The impulsiveness then is still the same impulsiveness. I mean, there's some maturity, praise God by his grace, you know, and there's some new self-awareness. But it's interesting to me how so many of the issues are similar to the ones I continue to wrestle with now. And I just wonder, does God ever tire of me? And the answer is, he's so patient. He's so wonderfully patient and gracious. He journeys with us. He's not against us. He's for us. And his patience isn't simply in like holding back his wrath that I deserve for the sins I commit against him. His patience is displayed in how much grace he continues to offer us over and over again. 1 Timothy 1.16, it says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and have eternal life. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's so patient. You know, um, I texted our team back at camp this morning and my wife in particular, and I just said, thank you so much for allowing us to serve at camp because God's using camp to continue to do a refining work in my life. I sometimes wonder if God's tired of doing refining works, you know? Like, I wish it would just be building work. But it's, it's just this refining work, and I'm so thankful for his patience. I'm so thankful for his patience. My friends, God doesn't just, like, call leaders. He creates them, right? He defines us. It's the gospel. We love that so much. He sends us. He knows who he's got. He knows our weaknesses. He sends us. He goes with us. It's not about our strength. It's his strength. And he is so patient in the journey. And I think maybe one of the great battles that we're going to need to fight if we're going to step into his calling well is probably the battle of pride, right? It's probably it. Now most time when we think about pride, we think about the pride of the strong who look at themselves and say, I'm so great, I'm so awesome, there's nothing I can't do, and we go on our own strength and our own power, we go, and then we just like, we just blow stuff up, (laughs) we create messes, ultimately the kingdom work isn't done the way it should. But there's not just pride of strength that we need to be aware of, there's also a pride of weakness that we should be aware of, the pride of the weak. Those of us that are so consumed and so focused on ourselves and our failures that our self-centeredness keeps us from going. It keeps us from stepping into the calling because we're so focused on ourselves and our weaknesses and our immaturities. But my friends, you know, what we need to do is is make this shift. We don't pursue, you know, low self-esteem. We don't pursue high self-esteem. Both of those are actually a a type of pride. What we do is we pursue Christ-esteem. We fight to focus on who Jesus is, who he says he is, what he says about us and what he's doing in and through us and his calling on us. We focus on him and then when we see the beauty of who he is, we realize that it's kind of irrelevant in one sense in terms of who we are, to some degree in one sense, correct? Because he's the one that's going. He's renewing. He's restoring. He's redefining. And if we as the body of Christ could take that kind of place, that kind of position, then like Gideon, God by his grace could do through us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And if we would take that position and point people to Jesus, then he would get the glory. We would experience so much joy And it would be for the good of all people. And that's what God is calling us into. Let me pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. You're so good to us. So gracious. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just like call leaders, whatever that means. You create leaders or followers of you or disciples or you know good human beings. This is what you do. I love your word that helps us understand what reality actually is. That reality is this we don't have to self actualize, make ourselves up to something we're not. We need to lean into the gospel where you recreate where you restore and renew. We don't we don't have to fear, Lord, that you don't know what you've got when you send us. You know perfectly, but it's in our weakness you send us, Lord. Like you're good with that so that your strength can be revealed so much more. We don't have to fear going on our strength, but you go before us in your power and in your strength and Lord, we don't have to fear the idea that you'll give up on us. You're so patient and you are so kind and loving and gentle and we just we are for us not against us and we thank you for that. And Lord, In view of who you are, may we boldly go into the spaces you're calling us to go. And Lord, may we not only boldly go, but may we trust that these truths that are for us are also for our children. May we trust that in the same way you call us, you are calling them. And may you give us the wisdom, the courage, and the grace to help them have a view of you that will empower them to be the people you would have them to be with the courage and humility that you would have them to go with. We pray this for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of all people in your name. Amen.